0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. I want to say a couple of things before we get into scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, you can find that and, and kind of hold on to it. We'll open up in just a moment. But just kind of as a personal point of privilege, uh, just to acknowledge some some gratitude that I have for, and I hope, and I'm sure that we all have for many people in our church. As you know, it's been probably about two months now, if you've been with our church, that we've had what, we've, what we could call, have, we've had without what we might call a, a dedicated worship leader. And yet, in the weeks that have, that have passed, uh, we have, we've had nothing but dedicated uh, people that have helped serve and lead us in worship, and so many people uh, have come together as a team each Sunday uh, to, to, to lead us into gospel-centered worship through our singing, through our confessing, through our partaking of uh, Lord's Supper together. Uh, through our fellowship, and, and so many are so tireless in that pursuit. And I just want to thank uh, all of them together. Would you thank our worship team and uh, week in and week out? <clears throat> thank you all uh, so much. I mean, uh, you know, from, from those in the tech booth uh, that are helping with slides, uh, they rarely miss a beat, right? Rarely. Every once in a while, uh, they'll, like I'll work all week on this really important slide, and they won't show it. Uh, but no, they. <laughs> but you know, our, our tech guys and and, um, and whether someone's helping, just accompanying the worship uh, team as a musician, uh, uh, infrequently or frequently, we're just so thankful um, for that. But there are, there have been uh, there's been three mon- men that have really stuck out their necks uh, most in this time who have labored and served our church in a special way, um, and I wanted to thank them in, in a special way. And so um, I actually thought all of them would be here today, but they're but they're not. But I'll, I'll do what I. I'll do what I can. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Johnson, and, and John, you and David Hall. I don't th- I don't see David here. Uh, oh, is he in the, with the kids? See, he's ser- when he's not leading worship, he's he's getting thrown up on. So, um, <coughs> really, would you would you go get him? Sorry, That's so my wife. I'm not just like grabbing a random person. <laughs> Let's see you get out of here. No, um, I want I want to wait because this is this is this is important. But i wanna do Actually, Aaron and John, would you guys join me up here? So um, I'm like, this will be, this will be painless, I promise, um, and, and brief, but uh, anyway, this is, this is Aaron, would you guys just thank them, Aaron and John, and, uh, <laughs> keep clapping, we're waiting for David, so, <laughs> tell a joke, sorry, come on, um, would you, guys, yeah, welcome, welcome up David as well, <laughs> hey, thanks for helping out with the kids today. But anyway, I was just thanking, um, well, I was just recognizing you guys and thanking you all for your, just your great service to our church and love for your, your church, the way that you, you spend yourself and give up yourself, and also just thanks to the, to the wives and the families too of these. Uh, would you guys thank the, the, the wives and who, when they're coming to church, they're with the kids. Uh, <clears throat> well, thank you. Again, this will be brief and, and painless, but thanks for the vital ways that you guys uh, help feed into the fabric and, and shape and color of our church, the way you serve in such a vital way. Um, what we do on Sunday is so important. It really is a celebrated event. It's the most important thing that we do as we gather together as God's people and talk about how great God is and what he has done in our life. And you guys have done it. And these, the reason I'm, I'm able to do this, and actually it's more fun to do it like this, is because these are the, guys, the three guys that would deflect and honor uh, all day long. Uh, they are the ones that would deflect and say, no, don't give it to me. And so that's why it's actually fun to give uh, them the honor for that, and so this is just like a, a small token of our thanks from your church uh, for you guys. Now again, this isn't the end. We still need you. So just, <laughs> it's not like you guys are done. We need you. Um, and uh, and I just want to thank you guys. Just something, uh, something small. Uh, season tickets to Arizona basketball. No, that's actually not it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tickets to Jersey Boys at Ava Amphitheater. Um, <laughs> What they miss in intentionality they make up in <laughs> <laughs> pageantry and costumes. But, uh, uh, but thank you guys, and I love you, and I appreciate you so much. And w- we'll need you for likely several more weeks, but thanks for, for loving us. And, and just show your appreciation to them um, and anyone who serves in our church, that seems to um, go above and beyond, and these men uh, definitely do. So uh, thanks, guys. You guys have a seat. One more thanks to them. <laughs> thanks, guys. for sure. yeah. <clears throat> Well, thanks for, thanks for that, that little time to be able to do that. It's important, and they're important to us, and, and they do so much. And so um, let's continue in our worship now as we go to God's Word, and we, thank, when we look to God and His Word. This is God's Word. What do we mean by that when we say God's Word? It's, it's really a phrase that we say so often. Um, but what we're saying is this is the way that God speaks to us. And when we're reading Scripture, we're actually hearing from God. And so it's, it's so important. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 is what we'll read today. Um, verse 1 to 20. Why don't we read this as we really uh, approach this, approach God's Word again with reverence and awe and sobriety of heart and mind as we hear these words attempting to not only be hearers but doers of His Word. So Matthew 15, starting in verse 1. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lean the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What a great passage this morning to really dwell on and to thoughtfully pursue. Uh, After 42 weeks of Matthew being in the Gospel of Matthew, I think we have six weeks left. All right? Uh, I told you we would spend a year in the Gospel of Matthew, and I am ahead of schedule. So we're going to finish in about 48 weeks, which is great news. I hope it's been a tremendously. tremendously beneficial journey for you. Uh, I think we might be saving the best for last as we get close to the end here, where we have covered every topic, every uh, passage in Matthew. Uh, We are getting to this great portion. Uh, I'm I'm excited how we're ending, uh, what we'll learn together as we near the close of this season. You may be aware, I just want to set up where we're going for the next few weeks. You may be aware of of Holy Cross, our mission, what's important to us. I hope you are. We try to repeat it in every way that we can. We try to uh, bolt it to the wall at the entrance of of our sanctuary. We try to put it in our bulletin. We try to uh, shape every ministry around who we are and and what our mission is, um, which is to make disciples who increasingly magnify God's glory, live as God's people, and engage in God's mission. mission. Our mission isn't tied to any specific Bible verse. We can't point to a specific verse and say, hey, this is where it came from. This is where we find it, but rather it's an expression of the most fundamental principles of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's derived from God's Word. We want you to glorify God through trusting in Jesus and the gift of His grace. We want you to be saved. We want you to know Him, to magnify His glory by knowing Jesus, trusting in His Word and what He has said, giving your life to Him. We want you to live as God's people by pursuing authentic and enriching community with others. We don't want you to be alone. We do not believe you're created to be alone, and yet... You're created to be in community with others where you are known and you know others. We believe that the Bible teaches us that we should engage as his people. We should engage in God's mission by taking the gospel in every area of our life so that we will be a blessing to others. And it's because our mission is not tied to any specific verse, but rather derived from all of scripture, we see it everywhere. Every time we go in the Bible, every, every book of the Bible, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, every character, every story, every... Every passage, we could see elements and principles of of what God God has called us to as his people. So we see our mission just all over the Bible, because our mission is from the Bible. And so every year, we like to communicate uh, this mission we see expressed in Scripture. And so for the next three weeks, this is what we'll do. We will dig into passages in in Matthew that expose and and reflect who we are as God's people and what he's called us to, to magnify his glory by believing in his word, Living as his people, we look at characteristics of what the, Bible, what the biblical community is supposed to look like, and we should look at our mission, what God has called us to as his people, as we end that series with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus sends us out, and he says, I've, I'm sending you out to make disciples, to baptize them. I'm with you forever. I've taught you. I've given you the word of God. Now go and tell others about it. And so we see it all around. This passage that we, that we encounter this morning tells us about the word of God tells us about the importance of the Word of God. It tells us about the place that the Word of God is to have in our life. And it also tells us about the tragedy that happens when, when the Word of God is not in the proper place in our life. What happens when the Word of God fails to be to us what it is supposed to be to us. It's a tragedy, as you'll see. It's so tragic that, the, that Jesus would confront these disciples and say, you are misplacing God's Word so much that you can't even worship God appropriately. He says, you're making void the word of God. It's not even, it's, it's, it's powerless in your life. It is vanity in your life. It is useless for you. And so therefore, they, they worshiped in vain. They prayed in vain. They studied in vain. They taught in vain. And they would miss out on the hope that God's word would be there to communicate to them. What a big tragedy. And so looking at this story, I want us to help us to avoid something really sad we don't want we don't want this to be said of us in verse 8 and 9 just look back again at this this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men what a tragedy to find ourselves in this place where these men have given themselves to the study and expression of God's word and this is what Jesus says of them it's lip service it has never reached their hearts. So this discussion around the Word of God comes, through, uh, comes about through this debate about a very specific issue. Let's look at that. Washing our hands before meals. Even though it starts with washing our hands, it doesn't end there. This is what Jesus does often. Have you noticed this? If you, if you interact or know how Jesus works with people, where Jesus starts a debate, he never finishes there. In fact, it's always like in a totally different zip code of where Jesus takes it. That's what he does. He engages in a debate and he ends up in a totally different place where we started. The religious leaders come to Jesus and say, Hey Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus says, Why don't you do anything that God tells you to do? Like, oh, what happened? What, what just happened? What just happened there? This is where Jesus goes. He, goes. he goes right into it. Jesus does this. He goes right to the core. Jesus always goes right to the core of what really matters. You know, we are so good at that. We're so good at taking these peripheral things, these peripheral ideas, these fringe uh, controversies, and Jesus says, I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about what's going on at the center of it all. He gets right to it. So let's get right to it. What is your relationship to God's Word compared to your relationship with family tradition, with cultural tradition, with religious tradition, with cultural habits and practices? What is your relationship with God's word in comparison to what everyone else tells you around you, your friends, your family, cultural norms, mentors, teachers, news stations. What is your relationship with God's word? Where do you go when things are really hard in your life, when you're struggling, whether it's emotional struggle, whether it's, whether it is a physical struggle, whether it's uh, trying to figure out the right path to go in your profession or with your family, where do you go? Is the Word of God one of many great voices in your life, or is it the supreme authority from which every other voice must be held account- accountable to? What's your relationship with God's Word? I mean, seriously, think about it. What drives your attitudes, your thinking? What drives your teaching uh, that, that, of your life? What drives your attitudes and your feelings and your emotions? Is it God's word or is it something else or many other things? Think about that question as we continue to pick up or pick apart this passage and continue to work through it. I want you to think about that because we're going to return back to it. What did the scribes and Pharisees do? We look at this. What did they do? They took a command of God. They took a command of God that God had given and they broadened it beyond its reach and applied it to things that were not, not supposed to be applied to and then considered that thing law. Now, this is the way we please God. So God said when you come to the altar, in the Old Testament God said when you come to the altar and you offer a sacrifice, you must wash your hands and your feet or you will die. And so they thought, well if that's God's command, if that's important, if it's important to wash our hands then, then we should make it important for all of God's people to wash their hands every time they eat. So the Pharisees rebuked Jesus' disciples for not washing before they eat. And Jesus says, so what? So what? They didn't wash their hands before they eat. Why does that matter? So this scene sets up this debate between God's commands and man's traditions. You notice here, just as a quick uh, commentary, you notice that Jesus never rejects tradition. He never rejects all tradition. He he never uh, rejects the application of God's Word to areas that aren't explicit in Scripture. But rather, he addresses the question of priority. Any tradition... Any attitude that we embrace, any practice, any behavior, even if it's derived from God's word, if if it makes void God's word, if it contradicts God's word, it has no value at all. And it actually is even worse than that. It's meant to harm us and it will kill us. And not only does it have no value, it can even make our worship useless. And everything we feel we might be doing for God might be pointless and worthless. And so I want to look at three signs here as we look at the Pharisees, three signs that God's word may have lost its proper place in our life. For our own testing, for our own assessment, for our own self-evaluation, thinking about what is our relationship to God's word, looking at these three signs that are exposed here, and then let's look at the right place that God's word ought to have in our life as his followers, okay? Um, first, signs that God's word has lost its power or proper place in our life. One, we ask the wrong questions When things don't go our way, we tend to ask the wrong question when things happen to us, when God brings things into our life, whether it's conflict, whether it's sorrow, whether it's grief, we ask the wrong questions. The questions that they ask, that the Pharisees ask in the context of what's happening in this passage is just, is utterly surprising and I hope it's humorous for you and I want you to see it. Jesus just got done feeding 5,000 men. We assume that it's even more than that, probably even triple, maybe even quadruple. 20,000 people with men, women, and children. He multiplied two fish and three loaves of bread to feed all of them. They had leftover food. And then the pharisees he comes down from the mountain after feeding all these people. The Pharisees hear about it. And the Pharisees say, hey, I noticed your disciples didn't wash their hands when they were eating you know, all that food that you just miraculously multiplied. What a question. That's the question that they ask after seeing Jesus and what he has done. How ridiculous of a question that is. It's like a fireman rushing into a building, burning building, rescuing a child, and then when he arrives outside back on the street after saving this child, the mayor of the city or the policeman says, you know, I noticed right before you went up you double parked. So what's up with that? It's like a Coast Guard sailor rescuing a woman in the ocean and saying, I noticed you didn't put sunscreen on right before you ran into the water. What's up with that? What's up with that? These are the kind of questions. It's ludicrous. It's crazy. They're just seeing Jesus, what he has done. He has healed these people. He has brought them salvation. He has done miracles right before their eyes, and they don't even see it. They ask the wrong questions. They're focused on the wrong things. When God's word is is not the supreme authority in our life, when when we do not go to it to draw from it, our attitudes, our behaviors, our emotions, our practices, our hopes and dreams, when we do not allow it to speak directly to our fears, it becomes a voice among many other voices. And we too will respond to God foolishly when things go, happen in our life. And sometimes, if you notice, the questions we ask of God when we fail to dwell deeply on His Word aren't just questions that are foolish, they can sound like accusations, which is even worse. You see what the Pharisees say, they say, hey, why don't your disciples follow what we believe to be so true? That's an accusation. They're saying, your disciples are not faithful followers. Your disciples are wrong. Your disciples are not true believers. When we, when we are asking questions of God, the wrong questions, we need to see that those in themselves, too, are accusations. When we say, God, why would you bring this to my life? Why would you allow this to happen to me? What we're really saying is, God, you don't care. You're not as good as I thought you were. And so sometimes our questions, when they derive from a voice that is not God's word, they are accusations to God. Jesus has just revealed himself as the one who could walk on water, who can control the, the wind and the seas. He can heal people with the power of a single word or merely people touching the fringe of his garment. He can multiply bread, to feed thousands, and demons are terrified him. Merely by the, by the mention of his name, they shudder. What kind of question do you find yourself asking God throughout the day when you are troubled? Think about it. Be aware, think about the questions that you ask God throughout your day, throughout your life. Dwell on those. Dwell on those. Do they sound like accusations? God's Word is is not meant to be a authoritative voice among many voices, but the superior authoritative voice in our whole lives. We want to get more to that in a minute, but let's look at another sign that God's Word may have lost its proper place in our lives. Two, traditions trusted friends and cultural values have greater or equal weight to God's word when we make decisions in our life. So when the Pharisees come in passively aggressive to Jesus, kind of passively aggressive to him, Jesus confronts them directly by saying, why do you care so much about what people say and think and yet you neglect the very word of God? Why do you listen to so many people in your life? Why are you desiring to please everyone except God? The traditions of the elders, he says, the traditions of the elders. It's just this broad and, and general way of referring to this great body of teaching. The great body of teaching during the time that, that commented on the law of God or commentated on the law of God. These were commentaries. They were mostly in oral traditions. They were, they were ways of understanding and applying God's law. In an attempt to obey it fully, they, they extended it much beyond its purpose. And in effect, they made void the word of God. And so the traditions of the elders, they sought to apply God's word down God's law all the way down to the the details of a person's life there was a way that children could avoid uh, taking care of their aging and sick parents when the when the children became adults so Jesus here is specifically saying why don't you obey God's word when he tells children to honor their parents because here is a here is a tradition that happened children as they became older and, and, and and accumulated wealth or possessions in their life and their parents became aged they could dedicate their wealth and possessions to God. And so when their parents would come to them and saying, I need help, I need money, I need lodging, I need you to give me something, you're saying, Mom and Dad, I really wish I could, but that's, that's kind of dedicated to God. And I really wish I could give it to you, but it's, it's, it's meant for God, and so it's sacred. And so the elders and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law allowed them to do this. And so Jesus is saying, in your attempt by following tradition and applying God's word you're contradicting God's word and therefore you're making God's word pointless to apply God's word in such a way makes the makes void God's word when you and I when you and I embrace a, a religious tradition or a cultural habit or a practice in our life in such a way that lays aside God's word even when they're good things it empties God's word of his power it makes the word useless how do we do this we do this when we when we are teaching a tradition above God's word and placing something else in authority in our life. I'll just give you an example. Uh, one of the things I've received uh, some heat over, actually maybe sometimes consistent heat over, uh, at Holy Cross, believe it or not, is how, how we dress and how you all dress. Um, now let me, let me explain here. I'm not trying to like troll anybody here because uh, if, if, here's, here's what I've heard. I just can't go to a church where people wear flip-flops. And I say, well, where in the Bible does it say you can't wear flip-flops to church? Well, we are here to worship God. We are in the presence of God, the King of Kings. Whatever we do, we are to glorify God. We are to bring glory to Him. God, does He not, He deserves our absolute best. He deserves our best. And I would say, I completely agree with that. And then they would say, so don't wear flip-flops to church. See what happens there? They went from the word of God explaining an attribute of God that he is holy, that he is majestic, that he is wonderful and deserving of all of our honor, to the application of how we dress and made the way we dress in our worship as equal to the word of God. The application of God's word, the tradition of God's word, or of, of the tradition of men as equal authority as God's word and I promise I'm not trying to like troll anybody, but this is like, we need to learn how to see why do we believe the things that we believe? Why do we practice the things that we believe? Why do we hold so deep convictions that we would not worship in a church because of something like that? When the church abandons the word of God to follow the teachings of a particular culture in order to become relevant to that culture, it becomes obsolete. And so here, for those who are wearing flip-flops, it's it's okay. You're, it's okay, I promise. Here, if you're hearers of God's Word, see, there are teachers of God's Word, if you're hearers of God's Word, we need to think about this and apply this. We're all hearers of God's Word. Hear the Word of God in its meaning. When God's Word is preached, when God's Word is studied, when you are doing a personal time of just reflection on God's Word in the solitude of your own time, read it and ask yourself, what is, this, what is its meaning? What is it teaching me? And, and how can I protect myself from taking this beyond where it is meaning to go? Hear the instruction given, the principle taught. Chew on the Word of God. Thoughtfully bring yourself under its authority, under its weight, under its instruction. And so this is what the elders were doing. They were taking something derived from God's word. They were taking something man-made, calling it spiritual, holding it up to the equal weight of God's word and saying, you've got to wash your hands before you eat. This is what makes you holy before God. This is what is right because God desires purity. So wash your hands before you eat. Jesus says, you've gone too far. Here's the last sign, the one that Jesus elaborates on the most. The last sign that God's word is possibly lost its proper place in our life, is that we neglect the real condition of the heart. We neglect to spend time on the deep inner life, on what's really motivating us. This teaching of Jesus technically is another parable. We could call it the parable of the mouth. The parable of the mouth. In a parable, Jesus uses real situations to to expose a spiritual truth. We are clean, not by what we put in our mouths, but what comes out. That's the principle here, not meant to be taken literally, for of course it matters what we eat. You can eat rotten food and you can get sick. You can eat too much sugar and get bloated. What does it mean then? If we want true religion, this is what Jesus means, if we want true religion, if we want a life that truly worships God, understands and follows his word, we must give great attention to the condition of our heart. We must give great attention to the things and habits and practices and emotions that form how we live. What's happening in our heart? Jesus says this is what's important. Do you let the word of God reach your heart and change your heart? And he gives us a test. Do you want to know if you have true religion? Do you want to know if God's word has found its proper place in your life? Do you want to know if it's changed your heart. I warn you, this is going to sting. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Do you want to test? Do you want to test if God's word has got to your heart? Watch what comes out of your mouth. Just look at it. Don't look at what you do with your hands because that's that's easy. Don't look at your tithe. Don't look at your stomach. Don't look at what what you do for the church. Look at what comes out of your mouth, he says. Don't look at your service and how much you give. And what happens, uh, look at what happens when you don't. Look at what happens when hard things happen in your life. Look at what happens to your heart when someone offends you. Look at what happens when, when, when something you love is taken from you. Look at how you act when you, when, and what you say when you're frustrated, when you're angered, when you're disappointed. Why? Because the heart is the causal core of our personhood. The heart is the causal core of everything that we do. It is our true self. It's where we live every single day. The Pharisees made a show of their devotion to God. This is what they're so famous for. We, We know that. They made a show of their devotion to God and how they prayed and how they gave and how they kept themselves pure physically. Their religious traditions took priority over God's Word. Their religious traditions took priority of what was happening in their heart. And when we do this we replace true religion of the heart and we replace it with a religion of form, a religion of external form, a religion of behavior, a religion of appearance. God is not worshipped by form alone. God is worshipped by our heart. God is not worshipped by how we look. He's not worshipped by how, what we do. He is, he is not worshipped by us sacrificing for him. He has everything. He's made that clear. He says, why do you give as if you think I need this from you? Why do you serve as if you think I need service? Why do you give money? I have everything. I want your heart. Sometimes I see the gospel preached to me on the golf course when I golf. I see it in the simplest ways. I'll hit a shot, it'll be the ugliest thing you've ever seen. It'll bounce off a cactus. It'll, 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 it'll hit a tree and ricochet off a rock. It'll roll, you know, 30 yards down the cart path, and somehow it'll get back in the grass. And it'll be right where I wanted it to go. And someone will come behind me, my part, my golf partner, and tap me on the back and say, good thing scorecards don't have pictures. <laughs> You've probably said that to me before. And in that moment, it's like, that's the gospel preached to me. You see, it's, it's ugly, but no one will ever know. No one will ever know it's ugly. You're going in the right direction. You see, Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, which we've covered weeks ago. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means, he says. Go and seek and understand what this means. That I don't want your righteousness. I want your sin. I want your brokenness. I don't want your pretty. I want your ugly. I am not here to find the well-put-together people. I'm here to find the broken people who understand their brokenness and can trust in me. Go and understand what this means, that when you then go out and do righteous acts in an attempt to please me by those righteous acts, it's a tragedy. You're missing out on it completely. Mercy is not pretty. Obedience is not pretty. Walking by faith with an honest heart is not pretty. And oftentimes it's very ugly. It's very messy. But God is not a God of pretty Christianity. He is okay with messy. He's not okay with pretending. This is what God hates. Pretending, performing, putting on a show, a religion of form and behavior that does not have a converted heart. He doesn't care about your precision. He cares about your wholehearted dependence on him, a religion of the heart that depends on God, acknowledges our need for him. That's what he loves. There's an important order to of our religious priority that Jesus confronts here with these Pharisees. One order says this, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be clean with God, to use this analogy, if you want to be righteous and in a good standing with God, then do what he says. And maybe you're hearing that and you're saying, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. If you want to be right with God, then do what he says. Then I promise you your spiritual activity will will focus on the form of your life, Your spiritual activity and righteous deeds will focus on getting it right. It won't be on the love of God or love of others. You'll want to check all the boxes. You'll want to follow all the rules. And then when you fail, you will feel so dejected. You'll feel anxious and humiliated because you can't seem to get it right. If your order of righteousness is obey and be saved, then you will do so much activity as possible and you're going to be anxious about it all and you're never gonna feel like you're doing enough. Anybody there like that? Anybody here like that? You'll always be worrying if you're doing enough. You'll always be looking over your shoulder and wondering when is God gonna be fed up with you? Have you ever felt that way? When is God going to realize that I'm a fraud and I'm not living as I should live? That's when our order for righteousness is obey and be saved, obey and be loved by God. But let me give you another order. Let me give you another order. If your order of righteousness is this, I am saved by grace, therefore I obey. Well, then you will seek to obey not by, not motivated by pleasing God, but you'll seek to obey uh, not motivated to be loved by God, but a motivation of a, of a full heart that is full of joy and a desire to know this God who has given everything for you to know this God who has called you to himself, that has loved you, that has died for you, that has forsaken his own privilege and glory for you. You will say, I want to get to know this God. I want to be with this God. I want to be where he is. I want to know intimately what he thinks about me more and more. So I'm going to get close to him and I'm going to love him. and I'm going to obey him because he's told me that these ways are good for me and pleasing to him. You and I are are not clean enough on the inside to be right with God through washing our hands before we eat. I promise you, it goes way beyond that. Our dirtiness is way beyond dirty hands. Clean hands are not the mediator between God and man. Religious activities are not the mediator between God and man. You are not getting any closer to the love of God by what you do. You're not getting any further away from God by what you don't do. Clean attitudes are not the mediator between God and man. How you think and your attitudes and and your good intentions and your niceness do not get you any closer to being right with God. The only mediator. Jesus alone is our only mediator. Jesus alone can wash away our unclean sins in our hearts, our unclean words. He alone can wash away our unclean attitudes. He alone can give us a new heart that now, once prone to only evil and only impurity, can now obey God's word, can love God, can love others, can can do works that are imperfect and yet seen as righteous in his eyes. Only then can we actually worship God and that worship be accepted and pleasing to God in his sight. And it is the word of God, applied to the hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that makes us clean. It is the word of God. So it's like, how do I get these words in here, how do I get that transfer? It's, how do I get this? Well, it's a work of the grace of God applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit. As we make ourselves available to it, as we, as we make ourselves undone before it, and we say, God, teach me, change me, transform me, as we yield our will to the will of God, trusting in him, he transforms us from one degree, one degree of glory to the next. So what, what is the proper place? We look at these, these improper places for the Word of God in our life and symptoms when, we don't, when the Word of God is not in the right place in our life. We ask the wrong questions. We accuse God. We, we question His love for us and His care for us. We do so many things. We follow the wrong teachers. We put religion and tradition and habits above God's Word or par with God's Word. Well, let's look at what it may look like. There's nothing more important than letting the Word of God bear more and more on our lives. God's opinion is the ultimate opinion that matters. God's perspective is the ultimate perspective. God's agenda for you is the ultimate agenda. Because the Word of God is not merely a a catalog of moral behavior. Yes, as we look in the Word of God, we will see moral teaching, but yet it's not just a book about morality. We will see a lot of history, but it's not just a history book. The Bible is not just a catalog of do's and don'ts. It is the good news. It is, a, it is the gospel. It is the story of creation to new creation. It is the story of how God rescues his people that have wandered from his good. It is a story of how God saves us from our uncleanliness and our impurity. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, spoke of this in, in Jeremiah 31, Look at this passage here. It says, "For." The Word of God is not just one voice among many other voices. It is the, not only the wisest voice, but the only voice that comes with power to change. It is the only voice, the only opinion that comes with power to make us clean. Our, our hands are not clean enough to restore a relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. The Word of God is so powerful, it is the only thing that can make us new and bring restoration, that can heal wounds of our past, that can forgive sins of our present, that can guarantee our position with God in the future. The Word of God is the only capable thing of doing that. It is the Word that brought the light out of darkness at the beginning of creation, when, Jesus, when God said, let there be light. The Word of God is the, is the Word that raised Lazarus from the dead when he was rotting in his grave. It is the word of God that resurrects a sinful and dead heart and enables former enemies like you and I, former enemies of God, to be counted as his friends. It's the word of God that brings about new birth. It's the word that guarantees our inheritance, that will not perish, that will not mold, that will not rot. It is the word that sustains us and governs us and brings us to maturity at Christ's return. This is what God's word does. Praise God that we're not made clean through religious activity, because we're really bad at it, frankly. Praise God that we're not made clean by what we put in our hearts and put in our minds, because frankly, we put a lot of junk in there, isn't that true? By what we listen to, and by what we watch, and by what we let form our attitudes, behaviors, we're not good at that. Praise God that we're not made clean by keeping up with every man-made good intention, because frankly, it's just exhausting, isn't it? To keep up with with the, the habits, the trends, with the behaviors of how we should act. Praise God that we're made clean by the good news that God's Word proclaims, that for your sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God praise God that is how we are clean we are made clean by God and Jesus together creating a plan where Jesus would become our sin die on the cross for us forgiving us of our sins and applying his precious work of righteousness to our hearts resurrecting a dead heart and a dead conscience so that we could love him we cannot become righteous we cannot become the righteousness of God with the heart that we were born with. We need a new one. We need a new heart. The Word of God proclaims the story of God's rescue of His people and our complete rebirth. God's Word allows us to worship Jesus rightly because it's only when resting in God's perfect, unmerited grace that anything we bring to Him will be of a a value to Him. The only authentic expression, the only authentic expression of Christianity is an expression that is in response to this good news? Do you want to please God? Do you want to worship Him? Do you want to love Him? Do you want to love others? Do you want to be a, a, a good Christian? The only way to do that is, is an expression that, is, that, that springs out of the gospel, that is a response to the gospel, that is, is, that is from the gospel. Any expression, any behavior, any attitude, anything that you would give yourself Two, that does not arise from God's word is not a Christian experience. That's how central the word of God must be to our life. So here is how I may simply put it. That we magnify God's glory. That we keep this a priority by centering our lives and our worship around the word of God, which proclaims the good news that God is holy. We have sinned. Jesus saves us. Not based on any merit, record or character of our own, but based on the perfect righteousness and grace of Jesus. And by trusting in that and resting in that and forming our worship around that and forming our lives around that and forming our work around that and our parenting around that and our marriage around that and our singleness around that and our neighboring around that and our recreating around that and our celebrating around that and our sorrows around that. I could keep going I'll just summarize it, our whole life. There is not a single part of our life that ought to be untouched by the gospel. The gospel is the center. The gospel is the story of Jesus taking our sin, and we are righteous in his sight because of what Jesus has done for us, not by what we do for him. Let God's word consume your thoughts. Let it it consume your emotions. Let God's word drive your decisions and your practices. Let God's word search your motives and your dreams. Ask yourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing today? Why am I thinking and believing and acting the way I am acting today? Has it sprung from my trust in the gospel or has it sprung from some other voice? Let God's word promote true worship. Let God's word transform our holiness. The world does not need more superficial religion. The world does not need more people who are just merely trying to wash their hands and yet their hearts are unconverted. Does it? (laughs) I don't think it does. It needs honest teaching. It needs honest reflection in God's Word. It needs an honest teaching from the Word of God even when it's not well received. Our greatest need is not cleaner hands, it is cleaner hearts. So when we say that our mission is to magnify God's glory through trusting in Jesus... This is what this means. It means that we desire to have clean hearts before God, allowing his truth to transform everything that we do. And the gospel is too narrow if we think of it just as personal salvation. The gospel isn't just about you going to heaven, but it's not less than that. That's a great thing. The gospel is about God's complete restoration of his world and everything in it. Your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors, your practices, your dreams, your hopes, your work, your fears, and everything in it. No gimmicks, no pursuit of perfectionism, no pretending or performing, just an authentic expression of a full dependency on God and His work for us in Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we want. That's what He desires. That's God's agenda for us. Let's pray.